Second Corinthians. We, I thought it best. I thought well, as was we had finished up First Corinthians last week. So I thought it well. Where do we go from here? And I just as I prayed and began considering other directions, it seems like the Lord just kept coming back to just continuing on from First Corinthians. We worked our way through that. And just continue on into Second Corinthians and go from there, rather than have a break in the uh, in the time frame of studying First Corinthians. And I want us to see the continuity between First and Second Corinthians, and because because Paul is dealing with the church there at Corinth, and rather than have that gap there, and at some point in time coming back and having to rehearse some things that we had seen and learned out of 1 Corinthians, I thought it'd be better if we just go on and continue both of these books. 2 Corinthians is not often a book that we we refer to often, but it's not often a book that will take the time to study all the way through. So tonight I'd like for us to just jump right in to 2 Corinthians. We'll not get very far tonight. I will read verses 1 through 3. We'll just make an, uh, just a, an inroad just a little bit into verse number 1. But I encourage you to this week, between this week and next week, begin reading 2 Corinthians. It's an easy, not, it won't take you a long time. You can read, work your way through it. 13 chapters. It won't take you very long. So begin reading. The more you read a book, the more familiar you become with that book and, and the flow of that book. And if you'll do your homework up front, then it'll make uh, my work much easier. And so the things that I miss or the things that I don't get right, you can correct me on. So be a Berean and read your Bible throughout the week and be working your way through knowing that we'll be here on Wednesday night for a period of time. He says in 2 Corinthians, Paul does, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, and to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And we'll just stop right there. Well, First Corinthians was a wonderful book. Second Corinthians also tremendous book uh, as we begin this study. Again, just tonight an introduction. Uh, and then we'll move on into the verses as we move forward. So let's learn as we begin our study tonight. Let's learn what God has to say to us, to this church, first to this church, but by extension to us also as a local church, what God has to say and some things that he would have us to learn. Second Corinthians, uh, it's often said, and if you read the book, you'll see that it's one of the most revealing books, one of the most revealing books of the life, personal life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul shares some things out of 2 Corinthians that we really begin to see his heart. We really begin to see some things that he is dealing with personally. You know, sometimes we look at people on the outside and we see people from a distance. We really may not ever know what's going on on the inside. Unless someone shares that, we assume that things are well, particularly in a 
good Bible church that everybody is just cruising right along, got it on cruise control. You know, everything is just just so-so, but that's not always the case, is it? And uh, we deal with issues of life. And we come to 2 Corinthians and we see the Apostle Paul. We really get an inside view of his life. We'll see out of these passages as we begin. Again, a bit of introduction tonight. We'll see Paul's godly character. And we'll see this character shine through in some of the most difficult of circumstances. Some of the most difficult of circumstances that one could imagine. We see a man of God and how he dealt with those things. And how these things God used to allow to be into his life so that he could be a blessing to others. And so as we begin this introduction, I'm going to ask you to turn to several things. And uh, up front, and have your Bibles ready. I want you to look at some verses with me. As we look at the difficulties of Paul's life... And his character within those difficulties. I want us to see some things. We'll see as we begin our study. His painfulness. uh, The painfulness that Paul dealt with. Look with me at chapter number 11. And verse number 27. Uh, Again just an overview. A bit of an overview tonight. We see Paul's painfulness. Uh, verses 27, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, in cold and in nakedness. We see the painful way in which Paul oftentimes lived life. We see the plight of the Apostle Paul. If we look a few verses at verses 23 out of chapter 11, he says, chapter 3, uh, chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, and uh, they ministers of Christ, I speak as a fool, I am the more, the labors are more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one, thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night in, and a day, I have been in the deep. So we see the plight in which he said, and we can go on reading those verses, we'll not do that, I just want you to see We begin to unveil the character and the life of the Apostle Paul. He dealt with pain. He dealt with all sorts of issues in the ministry. We see the persecution that was brought upon him in the life of the Apostle Paul. In chapter 11, uh, they sought to kill him. In verse number 33, and through a window in a basket was I let down by a wall and escaped his hands People were seeking to kill him, uh, let down in in a basket over the wall so that he could escape that. So we begin to see life, the Christian life, the Apostle Paul was not necessarily an easy life, was it? It was a difficult life, but yet we see Paul's faithfulness through it all. Uh, We see out of this book his battle with false prophets. Uh, There had been those that had come in. And it made their way into the church. Uh, Verses 13 and 14 again of chapter 11. For such are false prophets. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So he's dealing with false prophets who have come into the church. And Paul through it all and he's writing to this church at Corinth. He had a love And he had a heavy heart for the people. 
He had a love and a heavy heart for the people. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 4 with me. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. We see Paul's heart. He was writing to them. He is shedding tears over their situation and the things that they are dealing with. And again, they had been infiltrated by false teachers those who had been brought in were really just trying to undermine the ministry of Paul. Paul was having to defend his apostleship as these false teachers had infiltrated it again. And they were undermining his ministry that Paul had there at Corinth. And Paul spends a good bit of time defending, having to defend himself as an apostle. Chapter number 6, look at verses 3 through 6. He's having to defend himself because of these false teachers claiming to be apostles and seeking to undermine Paul's authority. Chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, uh, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. So Paul here is giving a defense of his apostleship. And again, those who were seeking to undermine that. He had to defend his own integrity. Um, you know, it's a, it's a blow when somebody takes a shot at your integrity, isn't it? It's a blow. And Paul now is having to even defend that sort of thing. Chapter 7 and verse number 2. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. So they are, again, undermining, taking a shot as integrity, his apostleship. Paul is making his defense against the attacks. Uh, and as he makes his defense, we really begin, as we look at this chapter, this book rather, he opens up his heart in ways that he's not done so in other letters. So we see Paul in a real, in a genuine, in a very powerful way in his love and uh, his love and devotion to the Lord, this book is often is also uh, contains very rich theological truths. Not only is Paul dealing with these again issues within the church, there are many uh, theological truths that we find. We see Paul's unflinching commitment to the preaching of the gospel. Look at chapter four and verse number five. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Christ's sake. Paul had an unflinching commitment to preach the gospel. Paul always focuses his attention upon Jesus Christ. We look at chapter 5 and verse number 21. And everything that Paul did, he brought attention to the Lord. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. He brings the attention and puts all focus upon Christ in him alone. 
He deals with the new life in Christ in these chapters. Chapter 5 and verse number 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He's talking about in this chapter and in other places, he's dealing with separation, living the separated life. Verse number 17, again, and that's the verse I intended to read. Wherefore, come out from among them and touch, uh, be ye separate, saith the Lord. And he touches the resurrection out of chapter number 4. I won't take time to read that. He deals with the judgment seat of Christ. Again, out of chapter number 5 and verse number 10. Chapter 5 and verse number 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. He deals with the judgment seat of Christ. So you can see that Paul is dealing with all sorts of theological issues within this book. He teaches on the necessity, again, of the break from worldliness. In chapters 8 and 9, we find Paul's teaching regarding giving. Giving, we oftentimes will look at these passages in regards to grace giving, faith promise giving. So we see Paul's teaching in verses 8 and 9, missions giving, grace giving. Chapters 10, verses 4 and 5, he's dealing with spiritual warfare. These things are being discussed. In chapter number 11, in verse number 4, he deals with identifying false teachers. How do, how, do you, how do you identify false teachers? Chapter 12, Paul deals with the grace of God that's available in times of affliction and in times of trials. Look at chapter 12 and verse number 9. The grace of God that's available in times of affliction. Chapter 12 and verse number 9. And he saith unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We heard a little bit about that from Brother Jones on this past Sunday evening. So he's dealing with the grace of God that's available to us, to all who are going through times of affliction and trials. Chapter number 13 in verse number 5. He says, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. This examining is to be done according to the Word of God. 2 Corinthians is a book full of practical truth uh, that speaks directly to where we are today and into our culture. The book is, the entire Bible is relevant for today. I, I get a little frustrated with those preachers who seem to think that somehow the Bible is no longer relevant for today. No Every bit of the Word of God is relevant for where we are and the things we are dealing with. And so he deals with things that are relevant in our culture. It's as relevant today as much as it was when he penned these words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. And there in 1 Corinthians he was dealing mainly with issues and problems within the church. And he's writing to encourage those believers to do right. Do right. Do right. Paul now is writing 2 Corinthians. And he wrote this book from Macedonia. His great emphasis is on dealing with false teachers. 
and their attacks upon the church. And again, he comes back to the same focus. Do right, do right, do right. And that's where we need to land today. Understanding what the Bible has to say about the issues of life. Getting that understanding and now moving forward doing right. So at this point, let's jump into the text of 1 Corinthians. We'll just get really the first introduction tonight. And I read verses 1 through 3, but I want us to see beginning back in verse number 1. Paul, very first, at the very beginning, we have no trouble identifying who it is that's written this letter. He had church planted. We saw this as we look back at 1 Corinthians. He had church planted. He established this church at Corinth. And he's now writing to them. We find the story of this church plan, how it all began. I encourage you to do this. Go back to Acts chapter number 18. If you'll read chapter 18 of the book of Acts, it'll help you get an understanding and put a lot in perspective of First and Second Corinthians. Because there we see Paul establishing the church. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is calling himself an apostle. Uh, That's a very important title. It's a very important thing that he's using here. Understand that he is going to go to battle. He's going to have to defend himself as an apostle. So he establishes it right up front to to this church. And in the face of those deniers, those who are seeking to undermine his ministry, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Very important that he makes that statement. It is establishing, once again, and reminding his readers of his spiritual leadership and spiritual authority to them. Paul is writing as a spiritual authority, a spiritual leader, established The church, and so he reminds them of that leadership that God has given him. Paul is establishing his position as an apostle. As we begin, we work our way through, we'll see in weeks to come that these false teachers, as I've already mentioned, they've made their way in their church and they're seeking to discredit. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, by the will of God, Now, it's important to note that Paul did not appoint himself to this position. He didn't appoint himself to this position. He didn't appoint himself to the position of leadership. Uh, Within the church, he appointed himself simply to be obedient to God. God's the one that appointed him. God's the one that placed him there. God's the one that had given him authority, that leadership. It did not start out as the will of Paul. We know this. We go back again to the book of Acts. It didn't start out as the will of Paul to be a leader in the New Testament church. It didn't start out that way. He set out to destroy it. It was not his plan. But God had other plans. And so it was by the will of God. But Paul was simply obedient to the will of God for his life. He was simply obedient to the will of God and what God had for him. If we look back at Acts chapter number 26, hold your place here with me and go back with me to Acts chapter number 26, verses 15 through 18. We'll see 
He was obedient to the will of God. He's making his defense here before King Agrippa. And he says out of verse number 15. And I said, who art thou, Lord? This is, he's recounting the time when he was knocked down on the, by the glory of the Lord on the way, the road to Damascus. He said, who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul is telling Agrippa what God did in his life, and how God changed his life, and how God appointed him. This was the will of God for his life. It was not Paul's always. God appointed him to this position. So that's a very important establishment that Paul is making here Right out of First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, rather, and Paul was handpicked by God for a specific task. Handpicked by God for a specific task. Understand, this is the will of God. Being handpicked by God for a specific task, it's the will of God. Now. When we think about the will of God, and I just want to camp out here just a little bit tonight for the rest of our time. When we think about the will of God, I want us to understand that God has a perfect will for every individual here tonight. He has a plan for every individual here tonight. And that will of God is God's choosing of you for a specific task. I just wanted to get a hold of that. It's God's choosing of you to fulfill a specific task. Let me ask you tonight. Are you doing the will of God? Are we in the will of God? Following the will of God? Let me say God is a specific will for every individual. Now, you say, some may say, what is that will? I've heard people say, I just want to know the will of God. If I could just know the will of God for my life. What does God want me to do? Well, we wring our hands and we trouble over this so often. It ought not be the case. What's God's will for your life? Well, we know we know from the word of God. We can say right off the bat. God, first of all, his will for every man is that they be saved. Amen. God's will for your life is that you come to know him. As your personal Lord and Savior. This is God's will for every individual. 2 Peter 3 and 9. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. You know what God's will for every individual's life is? That they be saved. That's God's plan. Now. The Calvinistic mindset. The Calvinistic uh, idea of the will of God says that God is willing for many to perish and not all be saved. It's God's will for many to perish and not all be saved. That, that's what they teach. Seems to be contrary to this verse. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They would teach that 
an individual because they're not chosen. They cannot be saved because they're not part of the elect. They can't be saved. God didn't choose them for salvation. So in other words, he chose them to damnation. That's the teaching of the Calvinist mindset. A loving God who is not willing that any should perish does not turn right around and choose many to perish. It doesn't work that way. So, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are many, on the other hand, who will not be saved, but there are none who cannot be saved. That's the difference. There are many who will not be saved because they will not come to the knowledge of the truth. They become willfully ignorant of the truth of God. They choose to reject. They choose to say no. But all can be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Not that God's chosen some for heaven and some for hell. The Bible doesn't teach that whatsoever. So we see... Right off the bat that God's will is for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will for every individual. Secondly, God's will for you is after you get saved is for you to grow. God's will for every individual after they are saved is continued growth now that you are saved. And so oftentimes I think we think... The salvation is the end result. We get them saved and boy that's good. We can stop right there. No, that's just the beginning. Salvation is not the end of the goal. The goal rather it is not the goal line. It's the starting point for growth. So we're saved and now we go forward from there. A babe is born and it grows from there. 1 Peter 2 and 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So this idea of sanctification. So God's will for your life, we don't have to worry. We don't have to, what does God want me to do here? God's will for our life is to be saved. God's will for our life is to be sanctified, set apart more and more, become more like Christ after we're saved. To grow in grace. Let me ask again the question. Are we in the will of God? That being the case. Are you in the will of God? Are we growing in grace? Are we growing in our faith? Are we, have we become stagnant? Have we stopped? God's will for our life is we be saved. God's will for our life is we grow after we're saved. Once we are born again to go on with Christ... Thirdly, let me note that God's will for your life is that you and I serve in the capacity that He's chosen for us. That every individual serve in the capacity that God has chosen for you. Some of you will say, I'm a missionary. God chose you for that work. God called you. For the heresy called the heresies To serve in Japan. He's called them now to the home office to serve here. He's called them to these purposes. Uh, If you're a pastor, God's called you to that particular work. If you're a Sunday school teacher, God's called you there. 
God has called you to a specific task. And his will for us is that we are serving in that specific task. Question, are you in the will of God? Where is it that we are serving within a local church context doing the will of God? Doing the task that God has called us to do. You can't say God hadn't called me. And every calling works its way back to the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So whatever you're doing, it may not be an out front preaching and and teaching and, and church planting. But it may be behind the scenes. But everything, little and large. And let me just say, the little is as large as the large. And sometimes we get a little confused and get that thing backwards, don't we? But whether you're cleaning the church facility, washing the windows, counting the funds, helping in the nursery, it doesn't matter what the issue is. We're helping the work to get accomplished. It's a task. And so let me ask again, are you in the will of God? Are we serving in the capacity that God has chosen Now, God chose Paul to be an apostle. That was God's will for his life. God's will for you is God's choosing of you to complete a task for him. To complete a task. God's choosing you to complete a task for him. God's will is never accomplished by us choosing for ourselves. You see, we like to come to the Lord and say, God, this is what I would like to do. Or this is what I choose not to do. I don't want to do that. I'll never do that. No, just mark that off. So we come to the Lord and we give Him a little list. If we give Him a list at all, that these are the things I want to do for Him. And God's will is accomplished when we... On the other side, surrender to do what He's chosen us to do. I believe God calls people to specific tasks. And the work gets done when God's people surrender to that calling. To do those specific things. God's will involves us accomplishing something for Him. And fulfilling His purposes in our lives. We're not necessarily doing it for ourselves. We're doing something for the Lord, what God's called us to do. His will is personal to you. What's God's will for me, for my life, for your life? It may simply be as a, as a young mother with a household of little ones, and God's will for your life at that time may simply be just to simply raise those little ones to know the Lord. To, to, to be at home and love them and encourage them to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That could be the will of God. Amen. God's given you those little ones. If, if, if you don't raise them as a mommy and daddy, who is? The world will. Don't dare give them to the world. So that is God's plan. So fulfill that task. That specific goal. It's personal for you. It is designed for you. Designed for you. Nobody else can fulfill the will of God for you any better 
than you can because God's designed you to do it. God's plan is for you to do what he has called you to do. God's will for your life is, first of all, salvation. Are you in the will of God? God's will, second of all, is sanctification, growth. Are you in the will of God? Are you growing? Are we still in the same ruts we were this time last year? Are we still dealing with the same things, going back through, dealing with the same old, same olds? Sanctification, it's God's will. God's will for our lives is to be in service. The, the calling that God's placed upon your life is your responsibility. Let me ask, again, are we in the will of God? Are we doing the will of God? Now, let me give you a couple of thoughts to consider with regards to the will of God. So those are some things that we know for sure these are the will of God. Salvation, sanctification, growth, serving the Lord, and all that's part of that growing in the Lord. But let me give you some couple of things. How do I know the will of God here? How do I know specifically the will of God? Let me give you three thoughts and then we'll wrap it up tonight. Listen up and follow along with me if you will please. God's will will always follow Bible truth. You say, it's kind of like elementary, isn't it, Pastor? Well, yes, it seems to be. But you know how many people have told me, and I've heard people say, I know this is the will of God for my life, but it goes contrary to what the Bible says. Completely contrary to what the Bible says. I know that God wants me to marry this individual. I know this is the one. But God says don't be unequally yoked together. I know it's the will of God. And I know this is the one. But they're unbelievers. And I'm just using that as an example. God's will will always follow Bible truth. God's will will never contradict the word of God. It will never contradict it. God said that I'm to... Leave my husband and, or my wife and marry another. God says that I'm to do this or I'm to do that. But if it's contrary to the Bible, it cannot be God's will. If it in any way violates Bible principles, Bible commands, it's not the will of God. If in any way it violates... Bible principles, Bible commands, it is not the will of God. Number next, God's will will always lead you to a deeper fellowship with Him. It will always lead you to a deeper fellowship. I know this is the will of God for my life, preacher. Let me ask, how is it helping you grow closer to the Lord? Well, I believe it's God's will for me to take that job way out yonder. Where are you going to go to church? Well, we don't know. We don't know if there's a church there at all. We have no idea. But it's God's will for you to go there and take, the, take that position. God's will will never drive you away from Him. It will never drive you out of fellowship. But it will always drive you closer to him so I'm not saying you don't take the job I'm saying 
If that's God's will, then the way to investigate it is to find a good church there and see if that's where God wants me in that church before I take that position. Because God's will will always lead you to a deeper fellowship with Him. If what you believe is God's will is not drawing you closer, but drawing you further away, it is not God's will for your life. Not God's will. Number three. God's will will always provide you ultimate fulfillment in life. It will always provide you the ultimate fulfillment of life. An empty life is a life that will not follow the will of the Lord. Won't follow the will of the Lord. And you know what? You'll never be happy. God gives you the desires of your heart. But he gives those desires when our desires are matched up with his will. And we're really surrendered to that. Today at the funeral, there were some things, some memorabilia of Brother Regal there on the table at the funeral home. And, and as I walked in, I was looking at some of that and I saw a little Bible there on the table. And I, so I picked it up. And you know what I found? You can learn a whole lot about somebody if they have an old Bible and you just look at the fly leaves of those Bibles. Well, you can just find out all kinds of things about people. So I just opened up those pages. And I opened, got my phone out and I took some snapshots. Because I saw thing after thing that was written. Things that were of importance. This is what was said, written in the flyleaf of Brother Regal's Bible. While God is working out your life's plan, we must give ourselves to practical obedience. While God is working out our life's plan, we must give ourselves to practical obedience. How do I know the will of God? Practical obedience. Do what God is said to be doing now. Do what He's called you to do. Serve. Surrender to Him. Question as we close tonight. Are you in the will of God? Are we doing the will of God? Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Oh, what a better place to be. There can be none other than simply following Him. Those that have lived their lives in the will of the Lord, seeking to follow Him, I wish we could hear the testimonies tonight to say, boy, it's been the the best thing in the world. Wouldn't change it for anything. I just wish I had another life to do it all over again. Probably just live in closer walk with the Lord. The will of God. The place of fulfillment for your life. Are you fulfilled tonight? The only place really to find it is in these areas. Serving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Living for Him. Growing in grace. God has a plan. Let God lead our lives. Let's bow in prayer if we can.